All right, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. Matthew 11, verse 12. While you're turning there, I want to remind you, we're getting ready to promote really big. My buddy, Eddie James, is going to... I'm warning you, register early because I don't know how we're going to fit everybody in here. We usually get about six, 700 people. So we'll see what, what happens. But tell everybody you know. And I'm, when I say everybody, I mean tell Pookie and them. It's going to be crazy. If you see this cross over here, all those things nailed to that cross are miracles that people are believing God for. Uh, they've got on their sicknesses that uh, have no healing or they, they don't have a, a solution for. They've got all kind. I've read just people writing names of different loved ones that are seem so far from God and so impossible. We're going to believe that for three nights in October that those hard knuckleheads that we've been believing God for, that they're going to be here, those sons or daughters and those cousins that are backslidden, that that's going to be the weekend that God brings them back. Can you say amen to that? And we're going to see miracles. I'm believing, like I've already talked to Pastor John about this. I can't wait that weekend. We're going to put crutches on these walls and I'm, we're, going to, <laughs> we're going to mess up the whole church. We just put wheelchairs everywhere and watch God and you know, even right before that, Mario Murillo is coming into town, and this is going to be crazy. You need to you need to make sure that you're following us on social media so that you can keep up to what we're doing. Get on our email list. Be here every third Saturday. It's not much to ask. My heart, my belief is, and the Lord's already shown me this, that we're going to have a thousand people gathering every month in the Bay Area of worshipers. We've got people literally every month who fly even from out of state to check out what God's doing here. It would be a shame to have people from around the world visit and not have our own family here locally who are committed. And so I'm going to ask you, we're not a church. We're not asking for membership. We meet once a month so that we can gather together because I want the devil to know that Jesus is still famous in our generation. Can you say amen? Jesus is still famous. And so um, what we're going to do is uh, have all this stuff. And I want to encourage you, uh, many of you who are not being trained, and I'm not one of those preachers who play nice, so we'll just talk honest. Many of you are going to churches, number one, that God never told you to go to, uh, and you're under pastors that don't have the authority or the power to be able to train. It got real quiet, but I'm not scared of nobody because we already took your money, so we're good. Um, but some of you are under leadership that either doesn't know how, and this is not everybody. Some of you are under amazing leadership, um, but some of you are not being trained and you need to be trained and poured into, and you need an outlet. A lot of the people who are part of our ministry, this is their first time ever being in leadership roles, ever being able to pour out and we're able to train them. And I am a tough leader. Listen, you join this army, you're going to get beat up a little bit. You're going to cry. You're going to be mad at me. You're going to talk about me behind my back. And then I'm going to find out because God speaks to me clearly. We're going to have a fight. But I promise you, you hang around long enough, you're going to be better than what you thought you could ever be. And so I, I want to put that out there, especially because we're losing a lot of members right now with transition. We've got uh, Jasmine going up to Bethel, our our beloved, my beloved friend and, and mother of a different skin color. Pat Sikora in a couple months is going to be leaving us, moving, transitioning to Houston. And we're going to have a big celebration for it. We're not going to cry tonight. We'll cry in a couple months. Um, but we're losing so many people because of transition. We need to regain strength in this army. And so you say, Pastor Dale, I want to join. I want to be a part of this. You go ahead and do it. And then the last thing I'll, I'll share, even tonight, as you see, we've got the cameras and everything. We've kind of bumped up our live stream and all that kind of stuff. And so even right now on our Facebook, uh, The Collide, facebook.com slash The Collide, I encourage you. I did it already in service, and I know you're not supposed to text and be on social media, but I shared it so that people can join in. And we have people from around the world, as far as Indonesia and Japan, who join in and, and catch this word. Um, and so I want to encourage you throughout this message to share that. 
And let's be a blessing. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. If you got it, shout, I got it. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. God, we thank you for your word, because it's like a double-edged sword. It cuts us on every side. And so tonight, we lay on the the altar and the surgery table and we say god take your scalpel and cut us like you need to cut us have your way as long as you heal us we want to be made whole we want to look like you we thank you in jesus name and everybody said amen 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 we've been on a series which i don't know how you do that with a service that meets once a month but we've been on this series about kingdom come and uh, for those of you who are come consistently you know that the Lord put on my heart at the beginning of the summer, the reason why we decided to talk about kingdom come is because the Lord spoke to me that this would be a season where the body of Christ would hear the word kingdom. And I prophesied, I said, you would even hear in your churches, they're going to begin to preach about kingdom. Uh, You're going to see sermon series all around the world in major churches, because what God is beginning to highlight is that church is about more than just services. It's about more than just worship, even as we do it here. That the church, the original word there being ecclesia, that word is not a word about a building. It's actually a governing body. Uh, why would you need a governing body unless you were going to govern? So in reality, you are not a church member to fill a pew. You are a legislator to decree and declare and to change laws in the spirit for our nation. I'm assuming that you're quiet because you're taking in what I'm saying. Um, So with that being said, I found that even as I traveled, that everywhere I went, everybody was preaching about kingdom. Everybody was doing a sermon series about kingdom. I was getting texts from people uh, whose pastors couldn't hear God if he spoke with a loudspeaker. And and even them were hearing the word kingdom and, and the message of the kingdom. This is the important factor as we address the kingdom. We often talk about salvation, but Jesus' main message was not about salvation. That is only half the message. uh, Because many of us got saved, but we never gave our life over to the Lord. What do you mean? Um, Because it's not enough. You're not a Christian if you're just saved. I'm going to mess up your theology tonight, but work with me. You can be mad at me later. Um, It's not enough for you to just be saved. Uh, The Bible says he does not want to just be your savior. He wants to be your savior and Lord, we don't write songs about Lord. We don't talk about Lord anymore because Lord is a a tough word for us in the millennial generation because the word Lord, it's not a a term of deity or deification. The term Lord actually means owner. Somebody shout owner. That when you say that God is your Lord, that Christ is your Lord, what you're saying is that he owns you. Look how quiet it's getting. I'm going to make you uncomfortable back row. Watch this. Um, when Christ says he owns you, that means you no longer belong to yourself. Um, one of the frustrating things that happens is I'm not a person like, I'm not one of those people who fake it very often. I, I try, but they tell me, you know, my mouth does better, but my face doesn't. So I, I try to fake it, but it just, do I have any witnesses? I saw, I saw a couple of people nudge the person next to him like, girl, he talking about you. Watch this. Um, and, and, and one of the things I hate is that when people give me a gift and then they tell me what to do with my gift. Um, if I want to give your gift away because I don't like it, it's no longer your gift. Look at some of you getting mad right now. It's no longer your gift. It's my gift. And so I get to do whatever I want to with that gift. That's the problem in this generation, that we have been bought with a price and we no longer belong to ourselves, that we have been purchased by God. And we don't like the idea of him being the owner of us. We like the idea of him saving us because we don't want to be sick. 
We don't want to be bound. We don't want to be burdened. And so come on, Jesus, save us. Most of us, the majority of our prayer is help me, help me, help me, save me. Most of us, if God answered our prayers, every single one of them, it would do nothing to change the world. It would only change us. It's real quiet. I'm I'm only starting up, so if you don't like this part, you're not going to like the second page of my notes. Watch this. And so we don't like the idea that Christ is not just the saving factor of our life, but in order to be a kingdom citizen, he has to now own you. If God owns, I'm trying to stay calm, but I feel my preacher coming out. If he owns you, that means you don't get to decide what school you go to. If he owns you, you don't get... Look at some of you going to get mad at me on this one because you still go to your grandmother's church even though God told you to leave and you have a savior complex and you think you can change the church but God told you to leave and you actually think that you get a deciding factor in even what church you go to. <laughs> and, and you have such a crazy savior complex that you think you can change a church that Jesus isn't changing. Somebody bring me a bottle of water because it's dry in here. All right. Um, and, 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 and so if it is the case that Christ is your Lord, not only do you got, not get to pick your church, watch this. You don't get to pick your mate. Uh, you don't get to, you don't get to pick anything. I had a girl come to me cause she didn't like the fact that I told her to cover up her goodness and mercy because I don't understand how you come to church and I've got to, uh, 60% of men in the church struggle with pornographic addiction. And half of that time is in the church because you're more concerned about your fashion statement than you are your brother and being his keeper. <laughs> can a few holy women just wave at me so I know I'm in the right house? All right. And, and I had a girl, and she told me, I can wear whatever I want to. I said, oh, I get it. You're not saved. She said, I am a Christian. I said, you can't be. Because when you are a Christian, you don't get to wear whatever you want to wear. Because your body, does, oh, come on, calm down. It doesn't even belong to you. It's supposed to be offered as a living sacrifice. And if that's the case, you don't get to decide what you wear. And I don't care how cute you look. Your fashion statement is not bigger than your holiness statement. somebody make your neighbor nervous and tell him he's talking about you. He really is. All right. Watch this. Watch this. And and it is a struggle. Ain't nobody going to share this message online tonight. This is going to be a tough one. It is a struggle for us because as kingdom citizens, we are not the deciding factor as to what we're called. That's why when we started off in this first series, and if you didn't hear the first series, you need to go back on our website, get it, download it. The first series of kingdom come uh, because we talked about generically. What is the kingdom? What does it mean? Because Christ came and he preached the gospel, not of salvation. Go back to your New Testament and read it. He preached the gospel of the kingdom because he's not trying to get you saved. He's trying to get you to become a citizen. And the problem in our generation is that we want all the benefits of citizenship without the responsibilities of citizenship. And so we want an overflow of blessing pressed down, shaken together and running over. But you don't want to tithe. I feel like fighting, so I'm good tonight. We, you, 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 want, you want a man of God, but you don't want to be a woman of God. You want to be used greatly of God as long as you don't have to clean toilets. Look at all the toilet ministers in the room. Nobody wants to talk to me tonight. See, you don't get to decide. And so we talked about what does it mean when God brings us into the kingdom. And then the second word that the Lord gave me in July, he said, understand that it is not enough to prioritize the kingdom because God will never be second place. He won't. Whether you make him second place or not in your life, you think you're making him second place, but he won't be. He's God whether you accept him or not. It doesn't matter who you serve. He's still God. You just don't get the revelation of that and the realization of that. And so God told me to preach last month. He said, I want you to preach not just kingdom come, but kingdom first. 
uh, because many of us are citizens in the kingdom, but the kingdom does not have priority in our life. And so we pray for the job. We ask God to give it to us. God bless us with a job. We shouted, buck, dance, gave God a praise. And then now we have no time to serve in the house of the Lord because we're too busy building our kingdom and no longer prioritizing first the kingdom of God. Thank you for the two claps on this side. I'm going to work harder and you'll clap a little bit more later. Watch this. This is why I believe God even instills tithing. God does not need your money. I need you to stop giving as if God is broke. Stop giving. Some of you, even when you give to this ministry, you just go sit. I have people tell me, you just take so long to take the offering. That's funny because if I was prophesying houses. I'm going to give you a minute to catch up. And, and is, what the funny part is, watch this. Somebody bring me a stool so I can set that down. I'm too big to be bending down the whole service. Um, <laughs> the funny part is, we so want the church to be broke. Y'all, real quiet. We so want the church, Chrissy's got it. We so want the church to be broke. And we want the pastor to have just enough. We want him to be struggling, which is why we have a bunch of bitter pastor's kids. Because they know God is good, but they know church folk ain't. But the problem I have is that we want to be humble and conservative financially and with our time when it comes to the kingdom of God. But let's talk about your little uh, uh, multi-level marketing scheme that you've been building on. And you're not praying that God would just give you enough. <laughs> and it's funny. <laughs> I'm going to bless myself tonight. Um, and, and it's funny because the, the, the reason for that. Is because we are citizens of the kingdom, but many of us have not allowed the kingdom to be first. And so when we make a decision, we consult our friends, we consult uh, the, the, the job and our calendar, and God somewhere gets in the middle of that. Uh, because, and can I tell you this, and don't get mad at me, whatever you consult first in the time of trouble is the thing that you really worship. Watch this. This is why God, I'm only giving a recap and I'm about to preach this message. I got two pages of notes tonight, so this is going to be good. Um, But this is, I believe, why God even instills the tithe. God does not need your money. He so doesn't need your money that the thing you long for, gold, is cement in heaven. (laughs) It is a chip off the old block. It is concrete in heaven. You think that, let me tell you something. He is not Jehovah's surprise. He is not El concerned. He, he, is, he, his, he is not deficient. God can provide what he's trying to do in your giving. And this is why, watch this. This is why you struggle every month to give generously. Some of you come, I'll watch it. Some of you, I was in one of the collides one time. And I mean, when I say they were bucking, I mean bucking and crying and weeping. And when it came time to give, they pulled out this crumpled wad of cash in their pocket and gave a little dollar. Now, I'm like Jesus. I'm watching what you're giving. So it is what it is. Pray for me later. Um. And, and the concern I had is that I realized after over 15 years of ministry full time that whatever has your money and whatever has your calendar is the thing that you have prioritized to be first. So God says what I'm going to do to test how first I am in your life is I'm going to implement the tithe. What is the tithe? Many of us were taught that the tithe is 10% of our income. That is only partially true. The tithe is not just 10%. When you do your research, and if you don't want to do it, I did it for you so you get the message last month. The tithe is not just 10%. It is the first 10%. Because according to the Mosaic law, everything that you own (coughs) 
because of the Adamic fall, because Adam fell in the garden, everything that you own has been cursed with a curse. But what God said to Moses is tell the, pe- tell the people that when they get ready to remove the curse, if they want to do it, I want them to take the first of everything that they have and sacrifice it to me. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to bless the rest. Here is the problem in the New Testament church. We think that only 10% owns, belongs to God. Come on, Ananias and Sapphira, because they found out that it's not just 10% that belongs to God. It's 100%. And some of you are like Ananias and Sapphira, and you're dying because you're stingy. Watch that. Watch out. Watch out. It's so quiet in here. Uh, And and then here's the bigger problem. Preaching to young people all the time, they think that the prerequisite for giving is 18 or over. I'm going to look right at this direction because I'm going to help you out, Pastor Eric. Because we think we don't have to give until we're legal enough to go to jail. And it's funny because I was a youth pastor until the Lord set me free. And when I was a youth pastor, anytime we did a retreat, anytime we did a mission trip, we had to sell cupcakes. We had to wash cars. Do you know what I look like in 100 degree weather washing cars? The devil. And it's funny because we want everybody to substitute. And they would always say, can we just get a little discount? Can we get a little discount? You know what's funny? We never, Henry, we never had to do one fundraiser for a prom dress. <laughs> Look at the moms in here who are mad at me because you empower your little knucklehead kid to be stingy. And it's funny because we don't have to, we don't have to raise money for your winter formal. We don't have to raise money. But when it comes to doing things for the kingdom, why? Because we are actually invested in the kingdom. And so God says, what I'll do is I'll instill the tithe. And watch this. When you give the, not just 10%, because some of you are giving 10%, but you're still not blessed because you have not prioritized the kingdom. And so you give tithe if you have something left over. But he says, if you give me the first 10%, what I'll do is everything else that you've got that's been cursed. You go ahead and read it in Leviticus. He said, I will lift the curse and release a blessing on everything you have. Okay, now God will never ask you to do something that he's not willing to do. You mean to tell me God's not tithing? Absolutely he's tithing. How do you know? I'll give you a verse. John 3, 64. God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. What was he doing? He was letting me know that you and I had a curse on us because of the Adamic nature. And what Jesus was, was the tithe of heaven so that the Bible calls him the firstborn of many. So that when he, I feel like running, I wore my stretchy pants tonight. When he would lay down his life, everything that comes after it, it's no longer cursed. The only reason that you're able to call yourself blessed is because God is a tither. I digress. We talk about kingdom first. And I was praying, and this was one of those tough months, a lot of distractions, a lot of me wanting to punch people in the face, a lot of financial difficulty, all this stuff. And just praying and saying, Lord, I don't even know what to preach because my heart's not even right. And um, the Lord's faithful because he sends uh, prophets to get my heart right. Because some of you, the Lord speaks real sweetly. But um, <laughs> have you ever heard the Lord say, shut up? <laughs> shut up, say the Lord. Get your, get your life, saith the Lord. And uh, I can tell who really prays because y'all like, yeah, yeah, told me last week. Um, some of y'all, he told you during the offering. <laughs> and, and I was asking the Lord, I said, what do I preach? And he said, I need you to change the minds of my people. I said, what do you mean? He said, I need you because they have a picture of me that's not really true. I said, what? And this is what the Lord told me. I want you to tell them that I'm not a nice God. So my message tonight, in the last final series, with all that intro... I want to preach to you from the title, The Aggressive Kingdom of God. 
<laughs> we have been lied to to believe that Jesus is a blue-eyed, blonde-haired, metrosexual, hippie version of a millennial who hung on a cross and did not bear much suffering to save our soul. We have been told that to be a Christian means that you are simply nice and kind. And though kindness is a fruit of the Spirit, watch this, niceness is not. Say that one more time. Uh, it is true that kindness is a fruit of the Spirit, but niceness is not. Christ did not come to preach a nice gospel to a nice church to introduce a nice kingdom. Christ came, watch this, to bring war. Now, we're going to jump out of some of them Psalms a day that you read and jump over to some real verses so that we can teach you good theology. Let me prove to you that Jesus did not come just to bring peace. And I quote Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 38. Do not suppose, this is Christ talking, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Verse 35, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against his mother-in-law. Somebody said Jesus didn't even need to turn that. I was already against my mother-in-law. But um, verse 36, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And all my pastors said, amen. Anyone, watch this, who, this is your nice Jesus. This is him talking. Preacher, pastor, inspirational Jesus. This is him talking. Verse 37 of Matthew chapter 10. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Look at y'all so mad because y'all didn't even know this was in the Bible. Anyone who loves their son or their daughter, let me talk to all the helicopter moms who are controlling their kids because you really live vicariously through your kids and you're worshiping your kids. Watch what Jesus says. He says, anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is red letter. This is Jesus talking. The Jesus that the scriptures paint for us is not a nice Jesus. He is an obnoxious Jesus. He is a offensive Jesus. He is a mean Jesus. And bear, I say to you, he is a rude Jesus. Hey, I know you want examples. I'm going to help you out. Matthew chapter 15 says, Jesus calls for, uh, a woman calls for Jesus to come and heal her sick child. And Jesus says to her, I've not come for the Gentiles. I've come for the Jews. Now, a nice Jesus would have stopped right there, period, switched the story, and it would have changed. But Jesus doesn't just tell the woman, I'm not called to your people. He ends up saying, you're a dog. Come on, come on over here. Explain that to me. Give me good theology. Didactically exemplify what is the rhetorical message that God is presenting to us in his eschatological view of calling a woman a dog. There is no theology. Jesus, it will offend you. <laughs> I'm talking about an offensive Jesus. Uh, Luke chapter 9 says, Jesus tells a man to let the dead bury the dead. What is that in response to? A man says, I want to come and follow you. I've been checking out your Instagram. You know, I follow you on Facebook. And I saw all the cool stuff. I was there with the whole fish and loaves of bread thing. I heard about the whole walking on water. I thought that was real cool. I've decided, Jesus, that I want to follow you. Because that's how most of us present ourselves, as if Jesus needs us. And so to serve him, we're doing him a favor. This is why we get mad when we don't get thank you letters from our pastor every two months. Because we want to be appreciated. <laughs> I only got two pages tonight. We ain't going to be long. Watch this. Jesus looks at the man and says, okay, you want to go bury your parents? Go ahead and bury them, but you can't follow me. He says, as a matter of fact, let the dead bury the dead. This is your inspirational verse a day, Jesus. 
Okay, you need more Bible. I'm going to help you. I got Bible for you. Uh, The Bible says in Matthew chapter 21 that Jesus comes into his father's house and he could have made an announcement, shot out a text to everybody, sent an email and wrote a memo and said, hey, guys, I really don't really. This is my dad's house. And, you know, I just don't really like the way that you're treating it. Jesus doesn't even make an announcement. He comes up in there flipping tables, turning over uh, cash registers. Pastor John, between me and you, one day we just need to go in a board meeting. (laughs) I'm telling you, one day we're going to come into a staff meeting. I'm going to just have so much holy vengeance. I'm going to start turning over everything. (laughs) Some of you don't like this because you don't like the idea of a aggressive or mean Jesus, because the Jesus that you have pictured is the Jesus that you desire. But if you create Jesus, that's your God, but it's not the God. And most of us paint a picture of Christ that we didn't get when we grew up and we had sucky parents. And so we painted a picture of a nice Jesus. And as much as I know you need that, baby, get a therapist because the Jesus of the Bible is an aggressive Jesus. Now, if you didn't clap on anything I said, you're going to clap right here. The reason it excites me that Jesus is an aggressive, obnoxious savior is because you don't know how nasty I was. You don't know my testimony. You don't know all the folks that I slept with and all the stuff that I did, all the people that I did. You don't know the STDs I I have in my body. Some of you are looking at me real sadiddy like you don't have a testimony yourself. But some of you remember what it was like for girlfriend to hold your hair up while you threw up everything that you had just drank at the club. Some of you know what it was like to creep in the house in the middle of the night while grandmama was praying for your knucklehead watermelon self. Some of you know what it was like when they broke your heart and you thought you would never be able to go over it. And I'm so glad that a cute little blue eyed blonde haired Jesus didn't step into my life and ask Satan if he could have me back. My body Bible says that he went down to hell and grabbed the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And I'm grateful that an aggressive Jesus reached down in the pit of hell and he said, devil, you won't have this one. Some of you can't clap because you think that gets the re- you're the reason you got here. You think your financial status is the reason you are where you are. Do you know how many people that had the money that you have and have lost their mind? Do you know how many folks went through what you went through and they are not here today? But, okay. I'm preaching too early. I'm supposed to wait till the second page. But I feel like telling somebody the reason that you're sitting in this room, the reason that you're able to lift your hands, it's because an obnoxious savior, a reckless savior. Okay. I am grateful that a nice Jesus didn't save me. I'm grateful. And when I'd spend all Saturday night sleeping around and show up to service on Sunday, that he, he obnoxiously let the pastor in my business to preach a message that I needed to hear. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but there's a few of you who used to get high and get visions of Jesus and you thought you were just a weirdo. But what you don't know is that Jesus was stepping down in the middle of your sin without your permission to say, even when you get high, you will never be able to run from me. Even when you get drunk, you'll keep sharing your faith with other people. I know you're backslidden, but I I feel like I'm going to preach tonight. Watch this. Watch this. We ought to be excited. (laughs) That a nice Jesus did not come. Some of you are too mean for a nice Jesus to save you. I'm going to just tell my testimony. And I'm not talking about mean before the cross. Some of you are mean now. And you needed an aggressive Jesus to come and save you. Your pastor can't even tell you what to do. 
So, of course, Jesus had to be obnoxious in the saving of you. I, I just, I feel like people are nervous in the room, so do me a favor. Just give God 10 seconds of a hand clap praise just to. Okay, five more seconds for an obnoxious Jesus. For a reckless Jesus. For one who will come for the prodigal son when you smell like pigs and eaten from the sty, Jesus. Come on, I lied. Five more seconds to say, God, thank you for come get. I used to sit up in church high, used to sit up in church drunk, and you came and snatched me with my front lace and eyelashes. Somebody in here knows what it feels like to be saved by an obnoxious Jesus. Somebody shout, thank you, Jesus. You ought to be grateful. That he was more stubborn than you. You ought to be. Do you know you would have ended up. With that knucklehead. Some of you. you remember what it was like. I, I grew up in the old school. We didn't have these fake prophets that we have. When prophets we have nowadays are just nothing but non-prophets. But I grew up in the day of fake. Of, of real prophets. I'm talking about you did spiritual showers. In the hallway because you didn't want them to read your mail. And I used to be nervous. But I found out that it is the grace of God. That he will come and expose my sin. That's how. Uh, that's how obno- okay you don't believe he's obnoxious. Stop calling Jesus a gentleman. Yeah, yeah. I know you call him a gentleman, but go ask, go ask uh, Paul, who used to be Saul, and he was on his high horse riding on a street called Straight, and an obnoxious Jesus didn't have the audacity to even ask his permission if he wanted to follow him, and knocked him off, made him blind. Okay, y'all don't want to talk to me. Let me try this side. You think Jesus is nice and cute? Go talk to Deacon Jonah, who didn't want to do the will of God, and he ended up with the free willy of God, and got stuck in the belly of a fish for three nights, and an obnoxious Jesus said, I'll put you on punishment until you get your attitude right. Okay, y'all still don't want to talk to me, but you need to talk about, you need to come and talk about a woman with an issue of blood for 12 long years, who was a legal to even touch him but he said i could care less about a rule because i'm a rule breaker to get to you i wish i had somebody who knew that god met you when you didn't even want him he met you okay okay you forgot everybody gave up hope on you your grandmama even stopped praying for you but god okay let me calm down because i'm messing up the live stream and i'm supposed to be sophisticated today but i'm i'm grateful i feel like Waving my hands a little bit because I'm grateful for a God who does not need my permission. I often used to say, Eric, that it was me who found God as if he was lost. The all existing, uncreated, all eternal, all wise God. He was never lost. I was lost. He found me. I told people that I chose God. I can't even choose the right outfits on Sunday morning. You think I had enough intelligence to choose the right God? But it was him walking through my ignorance to even pick me up and say, I know you're going to stumble. I know you're going to fall. But the God I serve invests in broken things. Live stream, y'all okay? Because I'm losing the crowd in here. Okay, okay, good. All right. If your Jesus is not aggressively fin- uh, offensive, then I must present to you that you are not serving the Christ of the Bible. 
The problem with the church today is that we have dumbed down the character of Christ to fit our immoral, weak, and spiritually anemic culture and lukewarm lifestyles. Why, why, why is it important for us to see and understand the offensive nature of Christ and his kingdom? Number one, I want to present this little word to you, orthodoxy. Uh, they taught me in Bible class that orthodoxy leads to right orthoproxy. What does that mean? The word orthodoxy, it is right teaching about who God is. Orthoproxy or praxy, uh, depending on how country you are, uh, orthoproxy is the right living in God. Now, the only way that I can orthoproxy is if I have right orthodoxy. If I know who God is, I know how I'm to live. The reason you struggle with ongoing sin is because you have not seen him rightly. It is impossible to see a holy God and not be changed into his image. Because we don't have right practices, it's a result of our bad theology. And I can't blame you for it because in the churches in America, they call me strange. Because I have people who tell me I can't even invite you to my church because I'm afraid of what you're going to preach. I said, then surely you'd be afraid to have Jesus at your conference. Because all I'm trying to do is get your believers to show up to church on time and serve at least three times a month. Jesus was trying to get them to die. (laughs) Oh, y'all forgot about that part? You thought baptism was a cute little Instagram moment for John the Baptist? No, when you got baptized in the New Testament, you were making a profession of faith to say, if I die, let me die. When you were getting baptized, you were saying, I'm going down with God and I'm going down with my sin and I'm coming up to Christ. I am coming alive. But if I die, see, we think that when, so we tell people, if you confess your sins... And believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead, you will be saved. But when Paul, don't shout, Dell, when he was preaching that to the Romans, what he was telling them is that because you confess with your mouth, you have now presented the fact that Nero might actually kill you. That the, they might, you might die. So I want you to know that if you're bold enough to make a profession of faith, You are saying that God, tears rolling down my eyes. You are saying, God, your life is worth more than mine. Oh, brother, I just confessed my sin. You know, once saved, always saved. I, I believe that. The problem is you weren't saved. Yeah, because you said a prayer. Watch this. I have a six pack. One of the most frustrating things in the charismatic church uh, is, is that people, I'll say something, you know, and people say, oh, you shouldn't say that. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Shut up. It don't work like that. Okay, look at all the Pentecostals. Y'all are mad at me. No, it don't work like If it worked like that, I'd be rich. I, you know how many houses I would speak into existence? How many cars I would lay hunt? Come on. I'm not the only one who went to the big house and said, in the name of Jesus, this one belongs to me. I'm not... Y'all not, okay, y'all don't want to be honest with me. We got some strange Pentecostals in here. You have laid hands on your stomach and said, fat, be gone in the name of Jesus. Have you Jebusite and cellulite? Be gone. And it didn't work. Why? Because it is not just a profession of faith that does anything, but it is the faith that backs up the faith. So, okay, watch this. So, so you say something with intentionality, but it is not your intentional words that are full of faith. It's your accidental ones. Thank you for that one, God. Watch this. Because you plan to declare and decree. 
But let's talk about on Monday afternoon when Pookie and them got on your nerves. And you said, that's why your mama ain't. Okay, I'll let you fill in. And that had more faith in it than what you proclaimed on Sunday. Because what slipped out of your mouth was an overflow of what came from your heart. Doesn't that sound like Bible? Okay, y'all don't know the Bible. Out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. And so you think if I declare and decree a thing, it'll have to be mine. But you have to declare and decree in faith. And what comes out of your heart by accident, in reality, most of the time is the thing that you really believe. If you want to know what somebody believes, just let them talk. And so it is not you just saying that I am saved and Christ is my Lord. It has got to be, I don't want to say accidental because there's intentionality in salvation. uh, But it is not this thing of I'm saved and I'm sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. Prove it without opening up your mouth. Some of you, we wouldn't even know that you were saved if you didn't open your mouth or wear the Christian t-shirt. Okay. Let me look at my notes. Okay, don't like that part. Move on. Okay. Not only do we need good orthodoxy, but watch this. Because we're asking the question, why is it important for us to see and understand the offensive nature of Christ and his kingdom? Not only because we need right orthodoxy and right living, but number two, his nature is our culture. Say this one more time. His nature is our culture. Whatever you see in the nature of Christ is the culture that he is representing here through the kingdom on earth. Are you catching this? So when you see... The meekness of Christ, what he's trying to address is that that's to be our culture and to become a part of our nature. Now, because of the fall of Adam, we have a nature that has leaned towards sin. When we get saved, is it okay if I give you some good theology? Some of you aren't used to this. You're used to a PowerPoint, a three-point sermon, and a poem at the end of it. But let me help you out and give you some good theology. When, When we get saved and we give our lives to Christ, we have been given a new spirit. And he makes us alive, dead to our trespasses. And so we no longer have a leniency to sin. We now have a leniency to righteousness. Now, it doesn't mean that we stop sinning. It doesn't even mean that we stop wanting to sin. Okay, come on, sanctified. Look at me. Because you and I both know that post the cross, there's some stuff you wish you hadn't have done. (laughs) I started off with about 20 amens. I'm down to about five and a half bobbleheads. Because y'all don't want to be honest. There is some stuff post-salvation. Now, does that mean that we still have our old nature? No, no, no. What means, because remember before you got saved, you never got convicted. You could drink whatever you want and never felt bad about it. You could sleep with whoever you wanted to sleep with and never feel bad. You, do you know, before you spoke in tongues, do you know the cuss words you used to know how to use? You, some of you are in here, and, you, and, and, and you, you know what it feels like to walk away from an argument and not have to feel like, man, I wish I had said this, because you knew how to say what you wanted to say. Okay, high-five your neighbor and say, that wasn't me, but I know somebody. Tell them. <laughs> but what happened post the cry, cross or post-Christ, is that now, because we have a new spirit, we have a redeemed spirit, we actually, watch this, I'm going to say a bad word, we don't hear this in church, we are, we are convicted <laughs> of sin. And so we mess up, but now because of our leniency, and we, because as we become kingdom citizens, there is a new culture that we have been mandated to, we now feel the obligation to actually repent from the bad doing that we do. Godly sorrow. Don't let anybody tell you that you don't watch the R word, you don't need to repent. 
There are teachers around telling people that they don't have to repent because Jesus paid it all on the cross. If that is the case, I'm going to help you because I'm going to give you every Bible verse you need. Why does the Bible tell us to have godly sorrow over sin? If it's been taken care of on the cross. If we don't need to repent, why does Jesus write seven letters to the church in the last day and tell them to repent? After the death, burial, and resurrection. Come on, grace talkers. After the death, burial, and resurrection of the cross. Repentance is a New Testament verb. Somebody tweet that because that felt good. It is a New Testament verb. It is something that we do post the cross. Because God is saying, if you're going to be a kingdom citizen, the culture that you now live in has to be my nature. And so you weren't patient before. But now that you want to look like me, I want you to make my nature like your culture. And so now you become patient. That's why you sit there with your... Just, I wish to go. Yeah, Yeah, I'm finding all my tongue talkers right now. Because I can see some of y'all going, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you only knew the week I had. You know, and, and, and it's because now what has happened is that, and so we hold our t- some of us, we hold our tongue because we want the culture of Christ. Somebody say culture. With Christ, last page, only two pages. We're getting out here early tonight, y'all. With Christ being the king of this kingdom, we claim to be citizens in. It's important for us to recognize his character. His character is the culture of of the kingdom. What do I mean? If Christ is love, love now becomes the culture. If Christ is meekness, meekness becomes the culture. You forgot about this point because this is the whole message right here. If Christ is aggressive, aggression becomes the culture of the king. Y'all were with me with love and meekness, but when I got to aggression, you don't like that part because you don't believe that Christians should be aggressive. If the culture of the kingdom is aggressive and Christ is aggressive, then why do we have a problem with being aggressive representatives of Christ? I'll tell you why we have a problem. It's because we have allowed the culture of our generation to neuter the believer of Jesus Christ. And we no longer live with the sustenance and the, 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 the character that Christ has called us to live in. What do I mean? We have allowed this culture to tell us what Christians are supposed to look like. So they tell us we shouldn't be offensive when the Bible is in complete opposition to that. It says that many of you will be offended. And so I have gone to seminars. I've gone to writing seminars where they have told me if you're going to write blogs, write it in this length and don't offend anybody. And I'm looking through my Bible trying to find a verse to back up their stupid teaching. Because we believe that in order to be a Christian, I'm going to mess you up tonight because I'm sick of nice Christians. The kingdom does not need nice Christians. We don't need nice Christians with nice kids and a nice paycheck to give a nice tie to sit in a nice padded pew with a nice church and die on a nice board. We need aggressive Christians. Why? Because hell is not afraid of nice Christians. Oh God, I'm a, I'm a mess up right here. Hell is not afraid of nice Christians. There is nothing that hell is more afraid of. See, hell is not afraid. I'm, a, I'm a, okay. I'm sorry, Lord, for saying this. I'll repent later if I messed up. But the problem with us is that we have become castrated. Okay. I was just making sure the cross didn't fall or nothing like that. We have become castrated. What do I mean? We have allowed the enemy 
to cut off the very thing that makes us fruitful. Seven minutes. Let me finish this. It is important for us to not allow the enemy or the culture of this day to tell us the opposite of what God told us to be in his word. Because once you become a castrated believer, you have salvation, but you have no fruit. And so you have been saved now 30 years and still have won nobody to Jesus. You're nice. Everybody likes you, but you have no fruit. The dangerous part is that because everyone likes you, it is a sign that you're doing something wrong. <laughs> so, so we talk about warfare, and, and some of you sitting here looking stuck on stupid like we need a translator because you have never experienced warfare. But I present to you the devil doesn't need to fight those who are on his team. <laughs> you are propagator of his position. You, 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 you don't share your faith. You don't talk because you're afraid of losing your job instead of them being afraid of losing their soul. Baby, you can find another paycheck, but he'll never have another chance in eternity. And let me tell you something. Hell is not afraid of a nice Christian. Hell is not afraid of a neutered believer. Hell is not afraid of a castrated saint. Let me tell you what hell is afraid of. Hell is afraid of somebody who is aggressive and knows the anointing of God. Hell is afraid of the person who doesn't need a prophet. They can lay hands on their own head and say, I am the head and not the tail. Hell is not afraid of somebody who needs a prayer partner to get a breakthrough. Hell is afraid of that one who says the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus up from the dead now quickens my mortal body. Hell is afraid of every person who knows how to lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. Every believer who knows how to lay hands on blind eyes and watch them see, who knows how to prophesy and see, I feel like preaching. Hell is afraid of an aggressive Christian. Let him call you mean. Let him call you stupid. Let him call you ridiculous. Go ahead and lose your job. Watch God give you a better one. Somebody came to me and said, Pastor, I've been at this job four years and nobody knows I'm a Christian. I said, it's because you're not. Okay. Uh, I'm going to help them out, Phil, because they look real confused on that part. Because we actually believe that the the church is uh, somewhat of a club. And as long as we say we're apart, we don't pay our dues. I mean, tithes. We're not committed to serve. We don't, we don't do any, we don't even commit to the church like people commit to the club. Some of you have been looking at your watch the whole night talking about when is he going to finish. You never looked at your watch in the club. Except for to check to see if the other bar was closed. But all of a sudden your little sadity self comes in the house of God, sit in the back, cross your fingers and your arms like Apostle Paul owes you a favor. You show up late, leave early, you don't tithe, give, you're the loudest complainer. And all of a sudden you become, it's funny, some of y'all became real sensitive when you became, when you came to Christ. I mean, we couldn't hurt your feelings. We couldn't make you cry before you met Jesus. We could slap you and you stand there and take it. And you, we, none of, some of you were so mean and, and cantankerous before you met Christ. And all of a sudden you met Jesus and you can't even take a bad word. You can't take somebody giving you a bad look. You left the church because somebody didn't say what kind of wuss are you i'd said it nice as i could what kind of punk are you the problem is we have too many punks in the in the body of christ and 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 we propagate from the pulpit that you're supposed to be a punk because be be nice but tell me the, the last time someone got saved by a nice christian some some of you better thank god your grandmother wasn't nice 
Your grandmother would lay on your bed crying out to God while you creep back up. Some of you better thank God that your pastor wasn't nice. Because he preached to you or angry enough to get saved. Some of you better thank God that that old woman prophet in your church wasn't nice. Because she prophesied to you even though you didn't like her. Spilled all your business and you ended up giving your life to the Lord. Because the Lord sent unnice, un, 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 uh, ag- sent aggressive Christians to come. I'm, the reason I'm tongue-tied is because I'm trying to make sure I don't cuss or say something. Because this is being recorded and I don't want y'all to talk bad about me. Um, but I'm trying to tell you. Because some of you, I have never met so many offendable Christians. Offended by everything. Offended by everything. We, we can't say hi to you the right way. We you're offended. You're offended because the music's too loud. You're offended because the music's not loud enough. You're offended because the pastor has holes in his pants. You're offended because the pastor wears a tie. You're offended because the pastor preaches with notes. You're offended when he doesn't preach with notes. You're offended because the service was too long. Now you're offended because the service was too short. We can't please you. And it's funny because you have been in a job for 25 years with a boss that can't stand you and keeps offending you. And you keep showing up on time. It's, it's real funny how soft we get with kingdom things. As soon as we start getting th- going through stuff, I know what to expect phone calls. Pastor Joe, I can't serve anymore. It's funny. You never called your boss and said, you know, boss, the devil's really been at me lately. I'm going to just need a sabbatical. Sabbatical, 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 sabbatical. I'm going to help you out. Sabbatical was never even meant for you. Sabbatical was meant for the land. Because the land was supposed to get tired. You weren't. Because those who wait upon the Lord, he will renew their strength. So if you have grown tired and you have grown weak for a season of your life, check who's renewing you. Okay, I'm done right here. I got off the pulpit. I'm about to be done. Give me five minutes and then worship team. Y'all hit the pulpit again. Watch this. Because this is all a setup to talk about Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. Jesus says the kingdom of God has suffered violence. And it is the violent that have taken it by force. Watch this. I want to understand the historical context for what Jesus is talking about. Watch this. Jesus is giving the eulogy of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in jail. He is the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he is in jail for declaring the truth. I don't want you to be confused. Sometimes doing the right thing gets you the wrong results. Uh, Just because you preach the gospel and you live right does not mean that everything will go right. You'll live holy and might die single. You'll give and still might not have enough in your bank account. Because we're not doing right so that right things can happen to us. We're doing right because we're kingdom citizens. So John the Baptist calls out King Herod... And he calls out his sin. Now, if this was in 2018, we say stuff like, we shouldn't do stuff like that. Because people, you know what pastor told me? Pastor told me, Pastor Doug, you don't have to talk about sin. Because people already know that they're sinners. It is funny to me that we are afraid to talk about sin Because we assume that everyone already knows that they're sinners. But I dare you to talk to somebody at your job and ask them if they believe that the lifestyle they're living is actually wrong. 
We live in an age where nobody believes that they're sinners. And they don't know that they're sinners because no one's preaching about sin from the pulpit. And so we have a whole generation that doesn't even know what sin is. Next week, I'll be preaching a, a teaching a six-hour sex seminar. Go to our website and register, and you need to be there completely free in Fremont, California. Next Saturday, I'm preaching a sex seminar, and we're talking about everything. We're talking about anal sex, oral sex, masturbation. We're talking about stuff your grandma would never love to hear in church. We're going to talk about it. We're going to get nasty, and we're going to tell you about what the Bible says about sex. We're going to make you uncomfortable, but you're going to learn something. And we were, I was doing this, and somebody said, why are you doing something like this? Because I said, this generation doesn't even believe that homosexuality is a sin anymore. And the problem is that we, for those of us who tell them that it's a sin, we tell them, but we give them no biblical reasoning. Okay. So John the Baptist tells Herod, what you're doing is sin. And Herod, being advised of his wife, sends John the Baptist to jail. And John is in jail doing the right thing and John the one who said to Jesus I'm not worthy to tie your sneakers John the one who baptized the savior of the world the Messiah the Christ John the one who was so dedicated that he was a Nazarite locks in his hair and wouldn't even comb it for fear of losing a hair John the one who was so dedicated to the Lord that he lived a fasted lifestyle and ate locusts and honey. John, the one to whom Jesus would say in Matthew 11 was a burning, uh, a burning fire in the wilderness. John, the one to whom only is the, per is the only person that Jesus ever complimented his ministry in the New Testament. John, the one who recognized Jesus when nobody else recognized him. John, the one who baptized the Savior to initiate his ministry. John, the one who in the belly of Elizabeth, the cousin of Mary, while Jesus was in the womb, leaped because even before he was born, knew that Jesus was the one. John is in jail. And he asked Jesus, are you really the one? Or should we look for another? Now, I know you speak in tongues and I know you shout and dance and I know you're saved and you have never been discouraged and you fly so high that not even Jesus can reach you. But there are some of us in here who have been through seasons where we have felt like John the Baptist and we served God and we followed God and we gave our hearts to him and we jumped on Sunday morning and we praised him on Sunday night but became atheists by Monday afternoon. <laughs> John. I don't know if you've ever been John before but I have been John where I laid hands on a man in Manila the Philippines and watched a tumor melt the size of a lemon like butter down his arm and then two weeks later wanting to give up on everything because things weren't working right John like John where I preached in front of 150,000 people what I dreamed of doing and ministered to thousands around the world but when the bank account is low sitting in my room weeping wondering God where are you John I, I felt like Job who said I looked to my left and I could not see God and I looked to my right and I perceived him not John I felt discouraged to the point where there were no tongues that could pull me out. <laughs> I help myself tonight. John, who 
was the preface to the contextual story of Christ's ministry. Sitting in a jail cell, talking to his messenger, sending word to Jesus, whom just a few chapters ago he recognized as the Savior and Messiah of the earth. And he asked Jesus, are you really the one? Have you ever been disillusioned while discouraged? Help me, worship team. Have you ever, pastor, had to preach God as a healer with sickness in your own body? <laughs> come, come on, usher. Have you ever had to serve with a smile on your face and a frown in your heart? Have, have you ever been like John? <laughs> who is, leave the lights, Chris, who is sitting in a jail cell wondering how come things didn't work out for me? I know you can't testify, but I'll tell you my truth. I have sat in services and watched preachers get large platforms, and I know who they're sleeping with. And I'm wondering, God, what about me? Because I've been faithful. Go ahead and find me a verse where Jesus points out John's sin, because John was faithful. You know you got to be faithful when every day you're eating locusts and honey. John is not a fly-by-night believer. He is not some weepy, apathetic uh, uh, believer. John is the real deal. And I came to tell you tonight that even Johns get discouraged. <laughs> the Bible says that John sends word and says, are you really the one or should we look for another? And Jesus responds like he always does and he makes no sense. Jesus, are you really the one? And Jesus sends word back and say, tell John. The sick are healed, the blind see, the lame walk. Blessed are those who are not offended by the way that I do things. What? Now you go ahead and shout, but I had to take a time to figure out what Jesus was saying. Because that doesn't seem to be an appropriate response for what John just asked you. John just said, are you really the one? And you're talking about the sick or sick. Come on, Jesus. Come here. Let's talk for a minute. What are you saying? Here's what Jesus was saying to John. John, go ahead and look at my resume. See, the reason we get discouraged is because sometimes we forgot what Jesus has been doing in our life. So when you've asked God, are you really the one? Jesus comes and says, remember that time you thought you wouldn't make it and you almost lost it and did not pull you out? Oh, you're asking if I'm the one? Remember that relationship you were in and you kept getting beat up and I sent somebody to pull you out of it? Am I the one? Remember the cancer that was in your body and the doctor said it was inoperable and I came down with the fingers of the spirit and pulled it out of your body? Am I the one? You go tell John, <laughs> look at my resume. And he could have stopped there, but the offensive rude Jesus kind of rubs it in John's face and says, um, blessed are those who are not offended by the way that I do things. John never said that he was offended. But Jesus, who knows the heart of men, responds in a way that lets me know where John's heart is. He says, John, you're offended because I haven't done things the way you wanted me to do them. 
you expected me to come in just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees because we give them a hard time. But in reality, the Pharisees and Sadducees were great studiers of the word. And they knew they had a picture of what the Messiah was supposed to look like. He was supposed to come in and bring transformation. But Jesus came and this is what the Pharisees wanted. They wanted political change. Come on, talk to me, American Christians. They wanted a Republican president. They wanted a Democratic leader. But Jesus said, I didn't come to change your politics. I came to change your heart. And Jesus says, blessed are those who are not offended by how I do stuff. That things didn't work out for you doesn't mean that it didn't work out for me. (laughs) It's the most offensive thing Jesus has ever said to me. Dale, just because your bank account is low doesn't mean mine is. Just because you're discouraged doesn't mean I am. And then he goes on and he begins to tell John's eulogy. And he begins to exhort him and says, what a great man he is. And he slips in this phrase over in verse 12 that doesn't seem to fit in. He says, ever since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God has been suffering violent. But the violent have taken it by force. And I begin to research this thing. And I realize that whenever Jesus was preaching and teaching about the kingdom, it was either preceded or it followed. It was, there was somewhere either in the, before or after the message where signs and wonders broke loose. Whenever you go back in the New Testament and you see whenever Jesus preached about the kingdom, signs either followed or it preceded it, but it was around it and it was part of the culture of the kingdom. And this is what Jesus is presenting to John the Baptist. That the kingdom of God is violent. It is aggressive. And the only people who get to participate in the kingdom are the ones who are going to be aggressive enough to get it. Hold it, worship team. Just give me the keys. Because the dangerous part about being a Christian in America is that many of you will go to heaven, but you'll never participate in the kingdom. And the scarier part is that many of us are okay with it. We'll preach about this. We'll sing about it. But many of us will never have our kingdom needs satisfied because we're not aggressive enough to get it. You're too offendable to take part in the kingdom. No, no, no. Come here. I'm talking to your watermelon head. You're too offendable. We keep hurting your feelings because you're so soft. I know no other pastor is going to tell you this, but you need to grow up. No, this is a hard word and we got visitors tonight and you're probably not going to come back next month. It's okay. We'll still be here. But some of you need to grow up. Some of you need to stop talking crap about your pastor and start praying more than you gossip. No, no, I don't, I don't need claps. You don't have to clap. You can stare at me and pretend like I'm speaking in Chinese or something, but I know what I'm talking about. Some of you will go to heaven. You'll, you'll get up there. You'll get your mansion, but you'll never see the sick healed. You're not even aggressive enough to get that wheelchair user in aisle six of Safeway. You're not aggressive enough to pull them out and to pray for them. You keep praying, Lord, save my family. And God's trying to say, I'm trying to save your family, but you won't open up your mouth. Well, I just don't want to offend anybody. I would rather you be offended with me here than offended when we get there.
How much offense are you carrying in your heart tonight? Collide team, I'm talking to you. How, how much offense? Because some of you signed up to be a part of Collide and you're not getting what you thought you would get. I warned you I was a jerk. And now you're sitting here offended and mad and you can't get what God's called you to get. And you're saying, well, you just got to be nice. You just got to be nice. Let me tell you, I refuse to be nice because the prophets of this hour, we don't need to be nice. You go ahead and let the pastor care for the widow and the orphan, but let the prophet tell the widow and the orphan to get their life together. We don't need nice prophets. We need aggressive leaders who are going to tell you, no, 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 no. You don't get to weep over that. Get up. I know this is a hard word and we don't like this kind of word. But even Jesus was called a rock of offense. The gospel, the word of God, leadership in Christ is supposed to offend you. It's supposed to hurt your feelings. If you're in a church and your feelings haven't been hurt in a while after a message, you're in the wrong church. You ought to walk away every now and then just pissed off at your pastor because he was all in your business. I'm nervous, y'all. I'm nervous. Because I'm scared what's going to happen to the gospel with this next generation. Because we keep writing worship songs that are not even about God. All of our worship songs are about how great we are. And who we are in response to God. I'm, I'm nervous, y'all. I'm preaching this word tonight. Because unless we become more aggressive about the kingdom business of Christ, we are about to lose an entire generation. Because can I tell you, this unsaved generation is not as offendable as we are in the church. Can I tell you what? They're not afraid of talking about sex because they keep having it. It's only us who's afraid to talk about real deal. It's only us who are so we're still arguing whether people should have ripped jeans in church or not while people are dying and going to hell. We're still arguing over whether women should be able to preach. You know what I say? All hands on deck. If you can talk in my language, say something. Grab a mic, Shonda, Honda, Watermelon. I don't care what you say. Say all hands. We need everybody. Can I ask you a question? Are you too offended to let Jesus have his way? I'm finished right here. Play a little louder on the keys because this isn't going down as well as I thought it would go. A woman walks up to Jesus and says, can you pray for my daughter? Jesus says, no, and then says, you're a dog. You never hear anybody preach about that part. You know what I think, sister, why Jesus called her a dog? Because I think Jesus was saying, I know you want it, but let me see how bad you want it. Do you want it bad enough that you'll jump over a fence to get what you're supposed to get? Or are you just kind of wanting it? Like you want it as long as it comes on Sunday morning between 9 a.m. and 10.30 so that you can get to the buffet before the Baptists do. But what if he shows up around 12 o'clock noon on Sunday morning? What if I love Phil because you know what Phil told me? He said, I got to catch my flight, so I probably got to leave at 10 or 10.30. But he said this to me. Let me tell you what. If the Holy Ghost breaks out and I don't get to catch a flight, it's all right with me. I'll call my wife and I'll try one tomorrow because I want a move of God. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like to someone who is desperate enough not to even let time. Can I tell you what? Clocks in the church of America have killed more revivals than the devil.
God, Jesus, move in an hour and a half. The God who is timeless to be subject to your peculiar watch. How many of you have said, Jesus, I want you to move as long as it's like this. How many churches have you left because Jesus didn't move the way you wanted him to? How many leaders have you been under now and you keep saying that it was them, but you refuse to go through a fence to get what you're supposed to get? Do you know every great man of God has had to be under a leader who didn't know his back end from his front end? Every great leader of God has had to be in a bit. We talk about these amazing revivalists and all these. All, uh, Amy, Simple, Amy, Amy Simple McPherson had addiction struggles her whole life, but still was used greatly of God. It's so quiet in here. We talk about, I just want the heart of David. David was a pervert that when he died, they brought a virgin girl in. And when he didn't touch her, they said, oh, I guess the king is dead. David was a pervert. Not only was he a pervert, he was a horrible dad. His kids were going around raping each other, trying to kill him. And you want the heart of David. No, no, no. What you want is to be famous. What you want is perfection. The church is not perfect. Leadership will never be perfect. And neither will you. But how bad do you want it? Do you want it bad enough that it may not come when you want it to, but it's going to come in his timing? Do you want it bad enough that you might have to cover your mouth and slip over to the bathroom during your lunch break so that you can have some time of intercession? Do you want it bad enough that you can forgive? Some of you are going to miss revival because you refuse to forgive. No, no, no. We're going to do business tonight. Yeah, yeah. That's why God didn't let a lot of people show up tonight. Because this is one of those nights you got to do business. You, this is one of those nights where you might have to go to church late, go to second service tomorrow. Because you got to do business tonight. Because you are so offended. You are so butthurt. And we keep egging you on because we're afraid of you not coming back. But Jesus, with all the guts of heaven. says, John, I could care less about your situation. Because it wasn't ever about you. It was, it was always about him. I was about 15 years old, I think, and um, and I got radically set free at about 14. And uh, the Lord touched me, and I spent the whole summer field just praying and fasting. And I was in high school, and when I was 13, I started preaching. Nobody would let me preach in their church because I was so young. So I would make sandwiches and go downtown San Francisco. And I tell the homeless people that if they sat there and shut up and listened to me for a little bit, I'd give them sandwiches. <clears throat> and it, it worked. And I, I mean, I was bad, y'all. I, I was a horrible preacher. Um, I remember preaching my first message. And in the middle of my message, I was talking about the challenge and inviting people to come to Jesus. And this guy comes in the middle of my message crying, saying, I want to accept the challenge and and, and meet Jesus. And I remember telling them, you got to wait till I finish preaching. Go sit there. I was, I was horrible, y'all. Started preaching at 13. Really got saved around 14. Isn't that funny? But I was at a summer retreat and just got wrecked. This woman of God came. She was a prophet. She called out all my sins because that's how God seems to like to do with me. She wrapped her arms around me. She didn't say anything. She just held me. And I felt the radical love of the Lord. And for the first time in my life, I felt how aggressive the cross really was. And I'm sitting in this camp. Actually, uh, Eric, it was the retreat that you guys go to every year over in Mount Hermon, 14 years old. And I'm sitting there with Pastor Portia 
just wrapping her arms around me. She lets go. And instantly the Lord says, if you love me, I want you to preach the gospel at your school. Now, I wish I could tell you I was really excited about that. The truth is I was a popular kid. Everybody liked me. And I didn't want to be one of those Christian weirdos. So I said, Lord, I don't want to do this and I'm scared. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to fast. Because I want you more than I want my popularity. So I fasted all summer long. And I sought the Lord. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, at lunch, would you stand on top of your table? It was a lot smaller then. <laughs> and I want you to preach the gospel. And so I prayed, Josh, all summer long. Lord, use me. And I'd get these visions, these pictures, Megan. And in these pictures, I would see myself preaching. And it would be like Benny Hinn. And people start falling over. And I saw angels descending and ascending. And it was glorious. Because that's always how it is when God shows you. He always shows you the end destination. He never gives you straight directions. And so I'm sitting there and I'm going, oh, this is going to be good. I'm fasted up. I'm prayed up. I'm a 14-year-old, 15-year-old revivalist. And I go to school. And about the third day in the school, that's when I knew I was going to do it. I had planned it. I knew exactly how I was going to do it. The second lunch break was my lunch break. I was going to go. And I was ready. People were talking to me. And I was just whispering in tongues. Couldn't hear nothing. They were saying, how are you doing, Del? Because I was on a mission. Palm sweaty, heart racing. And Pat... I climb up on that table and I gave the worst sermon that I've ever given. Some of you are saying, no, you haven't. I've heard one. <laughs> but I get up on that pulpit or that, well, I guess it was a pulpit. I get on that table and I tell people I was a sinner and Jesus saved me. This is what I said. I said, all of you are going to hell. <laughs> but Jesus wants to save you. I remember in my vision, I saw angels descending and ascending. Didn't happen that way. Somebody threw a chicken nugget at me with ketchup on it. Called me a fag. Said all kinds of crazy stuff. Wouldn't even let me finish my sermon. My little three-minute sermon. Never felt so discouraged in my life. I walked down off of that, um, off of that pulpit. And I had to fight back tears because I didn't want them to clown me and call me a softie. I went back home and I just sat before the Lord. I said, Lord, I tried. What happened? And you ever ask God a question and he thinks that it's rhetorical? I said, what, do you do? what did you do, Pastor Dell? You know what I did? The same thing I always did. Woke up the next day and started my prayer regiment, started reading my Bible. I was a little ticked off at God because I was so embarrassed. I went to school. People would make fun of me, call me the church kid, all that stuff. About two weeks later, my best friend at the time, he walks up to me in the hallway and says, Dell, um, I know you go to church and stuff, and this was during passing. And he says, I know you go to church and stuff, and my mom and dad, they're, they're in the middle of a divorce, and uh, I don't want that to happen. Would you mind praying for me? Can I tell you, my whole attitude changed. I pinned them against the locker. <laughs> I'm charismatic. No joke. True story. Laid my hands on his head. Would I suggest this today? No. But I didn't have anybody train me. This is, if I had collide back then, I would have knew better. Pinned him against the locker, laid my hands on him, and I said, Shakata, da, da, da. There are hundreds of students walking past us. And my friend's looking at me like, dude, what are you doing? Shut up. I'm praying. This is true story. True story. Some of you are saying, Dell, you haven't changed at all. <laughs> Fifteen years old. And I start praying for him for about two minutes, a fiery, 
couldn't, and he's embarrassed. If I tell the truth, I was embarrassed. I didn't want to show it inside. I was like, oh God, what's going on? Outside is like, shaka, tababa, koro, ebaka, inside, dear God, outside, shaka, shake it, oba. You got to fake it till you make it. <laughs> My best friend gave his heart to the Lord because he was the captain of the football team. Most of the football team gave their heart to the Lord. And because the football team were the popular kids, the basketball team gave their hearts to the Lord. A lot of the basketball team gave their hearts to the Lord. So their girlfriends who were cheerleaders gave their hearts to the Lord. And when they gave their heart to the Lord, by the time I had graduated, a few years later, I had led over 200 of my people who didn't even like me, didn't think I was cool. They had been one to Jesus. Some of them, my best friend today is a leader at his local church. I've got friends who were saved in ministry. What would I have missed? If I had said, I don't have time, I'm embarrassed, I'm scared, did I do it right? No, but I did it. Because I was willing to be aggressive because he was aggressive for me. Some of you are going to get reinvigorated tonight. Some of you are going to get your will back tonight. Some of you are going to see your job not as the place that pays your bills, but as the mission field that God's called you to. Some of you students have been coming to collide and God's been trying to pull you in. And he's been trying to tell you, I'm using you to be a revolutionary for your high school. Some of you are going to be missionaries to your family, but God is saying, I need you to get some fire. I need you to stop being offended. Stop getting mad at everybody. Take a licking and keep on ticking and let's do kingdom work. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Turn down the lights, Chris. I want you to lift your hands and begin to pray in the spirit. If you need a reason to leave, now is your reason. We're about to go in for a few moments. But all over this room, I want you to begin to pray in the spirit. Come on, lift up your hands and I want you to aggressively begin to pray. Aggressively begin to pray. No, no, no. Come on, come on. I want you to press in. This is what I'm talking about. We're going to press in just a little bit. Aggressively. Nick. 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 Hold the music, 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 hold the music. Lift your voice and ask God to give you fire. Come on, lift your voice. No, no, we're not going to have a regular altar call. We need the passion of Jesus. Some of you have lost your fire and you've lost your radical faith. You used to share your faith with everything breathing and you've lost it. But tonight, if you cry out and you press in a little bit, God's going to fill you up about this is this prayer isn't for you. It's not about your life becoming better.